This is an ABC podcast. Women do more invisible work than men do. I am not being controversial saying that. Fight me, I don't care. It's a fact. When it comes to stuff we've got to do at home, most of the time it's women who take the mental initiative required. We don't wait to be told. We sort dinner, get the groceries, buy the presents, book the babysitter, and all the while we're also usually holding down a paid job. If home were a company, it's 100% women filling the role of CEO. Hey, Marty, I didn't get a chance to do a proper clean-up of the kitchen. Could you please empty the dishwasher, then stick everything that's in the sink in the dishwasher and turn it on? Hey, Yumi, what time do you want to go out and get those Vox Pops? Uh... How about after lunch? Yeah, cool. Cool. I have a leg of lamb ready for dinner, but you need to get it in the oven, so please turn it on at 12.30 to 160 degrees. Put the lamb in at 1 o'clock. Don't forget to see if we can get daycare this Friday. Also, did you call your dad about the holidays? Hi, Yumi speaking. Hi, it's Ryan, the plumber. Uh, I can come by and fix the toilet tomorrow. Oh, great. Yeah, but you need to be home between midday and 4. Oh, okay. One more thing. Can you be home for the plumber tomorrow afternoon? You'll have to get the parking permit to him. Hey, Yumi, what's the best way to get you this audio? Um, can you email them through? Yep, we'll do. Don't eat any junk food, please. Carla's coming over for dinner. I will also be making you pudding. Thanks, honey. Kiss, kiss. Love you. Bye. Hey, are you ready to record this script? Yep, sure. Let's go. <clears throat> This performance women do every day has a few names. Emotional labour, the second shift, or my favourite, the mental load. What a lot of women don't realise about the mental load is that it's not just about who does what or feeling aggrieved. It's literally about our mental health and our longevity and our self-worth and our identity. In case you don't have a clear picture of what the mental load is yet, it's basically that list of stuff you keep in your head so your family doesn't starve and your house doesn't fall apart and all your relationships stay healthy. It's noticing that a list needs to be written in the first place. In season one of this podcast, we called out the mental load and it was one of our most shared episodes. Finally, we had the language for all that unpaid, ignored, relentless and thankless invisible work we do. And while naming it is powerful, what if we had a solution to the mental load? It's, oh my God, we're having more sex. We have more fun together. We're having these conversations over tacos. We're actually leaving our kid at home because we both value marriage and romance. Things that weren't happening before. Ladies, we need to solve the mental load. When we first spoke about the mental load on this podcast, there was a French cartoon called You Should Have Asked that was going viral. It explained the mental load with such clarity that when I first saw it, my reaction was fury. I wanted to burn shit to the ground. It showed a woman with a baby and a hapless male partner who was kind but needed to be told how to help. And it was so familiar, so common, so exasperating and so profoundly unfair. 
journalist Tracy Spicer knew exactly what I was talking about. It was an absolute light bulb moment for me. I saw it on Clementine Ford's Facebook page and I shared it with every woman that I knew and it went viral and there are swear words. And it happened at a time when I realised that my life with my wonderful husband who's 50-50 with the housework, 50-50 with the childcare, but it was just the little things. I'm always the one who organises school holiday care or who takes the time off to look after the kids or arranges everyone's Christmas presents or birthday presents in his extended family and my extended family. Mm-hmm. So after reading that, I decided to go on strike in the household. So he had to do it. It drove him berserk. He said, this is crazy. Mm. Such little school holiday care in Australia. I said, now you know my pain. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, tell us about the mental load in your life. I think when I saw the cartoon, I was like, oh no, now I've added that to my mental load because <laughs> I'm thinking about how often I think about the mental load. Yeah. That's Jenny Leong, an MP in the New South Wales Parliament. I was very lucky and, and, you know, I consider it to be luck that my partner was able to access paid parental leave. So he was the primary carer for a significant amount of time. And in that case, he did take the mental load and a lot of that was then there. The, the, what's interesting is once we're both back at work, where the default position falls back and the expectation of who's supposed to know those things falls to me. Mm. Then you feel like part of it is also, oh, am I being a bad feminist because of that? Because I think then adds in another level to it to how much you should make a deal of this or not. I noticed the the gender dynamic with my, you know, friends that are in same-sex relationships, they're both men. They fall quite comfortably into stereotyped gender roles without all, without all of the challenges. And, the and this is Dr Leah Rupana, a lecturer in sociology at the University of Melbourne. She researches domestic labour and this idea of the mental load is her field of expertise. I'm going to start and say something a little bit controversial. I'm going to say that everyone actually carries the mental load. Mm -hmm. So some portion of your mental load may go to thinking about your career. Some portion of it may go to thinking about your family. And some portion of it may be going to thinking about your personal life. And the difference is the balance across men and women. So you could imagine men are spending a lot more of their mental load thinking about how do I advance my career, Mm. thinking about the day-to-day challenges of work. Mm. That is a very different mental load than who is going to pick up the child from daycare or who's going to organize the school holidays Mm. or who's doing the housework or why is the house a mess. Mm. And one leads to an economic outcome, career mobility, and one is just unpaid sometimes recognized, sometimes not recognized labor. And I think that's really the difference. How do we shift the ratio? Leah, it definitely does sit more with women. The, the Absolutely. Unpaid. Yeah, okay. So we're all in agreement about that. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The balance in terms of the unpaid, in terms of thinking about the domestic sphere, is disproportionately shouldered by women. Yes. Absolutely. Once you get your head around the idea of the mental load, you start seeing it everywhere in the lives of your friends, colleagues, your mother, yourself. It happens to women in all walks of life and age and sexuality, but it seems to hit hardest when there's a baby. So now we have a name for the mental load, but the problem is naming it doesn't make it go away. As I was sobbing, I was thinking, I used to be able to manage employee teams And now I'm too overwhelmed to even manage a grocery list. And more importantly, how did I become the default for every single childcare and household task for my family? It wasn't supposed to happen to me. 
This is Eve Rodsky. She's a lawyer and she's written a book called Fair Play, which is all about fairly distributing the mental load. Eve's marriage nearly ended when her husband sent her a text saying, oh, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. She was furious at the assumption that she had gone from high-powered lawyer to full-time default blueberry schlepper. Eve knew she had to do something about it. She says there are a few ways to look at the mental load. My favourite was a term from 1987. An American sociologist named Arlene Kaplan-Daniels coined a term called invisible work. And why I like that term so much is because that's the only one that had a modicum of a solution in it. Because I kept thinking to myself, maybe, maybe if I can make visible all the invisible things I was doing for my home and family, for my husband, Seth, maybe then he would value what I did. And that's why I ended up interviewing over 500 men and women from every socioeconomic status and multiple ethnicities to find out what was happening to us. And what I realized was that the smallest details were causing the biggest problems. I had a man who told me he was locked out of his house, locked out over a glue stick (laughs) because he forgot to bring home a glue stick. And he's telling me he's driving around, deciding whether he should go to a hotel, go see a friend, whether he's going to be let back into his home. I have a COO of a publicly traded company, a woman telling me when I asked her her greatest challenge, she told me it was getting her husband to remember to take out the kitty litter, not running her publicly traded company. So it might be reassuring to know that people all over the place are cracking the shits about the smallest things. And from where Eve's standing, part of fixing that interpersonal angst was in making the work visible to her husband. I made a list. I made the best list of all time. And it was 98 tabs in Excel, an Excel spreadsheet of 98 tabs with 20 sub-tabs, over a thousand items of invisible work. This spreadsheet, which I called the shit I do, was a spreadsheet that ended up going viral amongst communities of women. So women I didn't even know were texting me and calling me saying, in your Excel sheet, I don't see sunscreen. And I would say back to them, no, you just didn't scroll right on Excel. (laughs) Under tab 78, item number 11 says apply sunscreen under medical and healthy living. Other women would say, well, you forgot allowance. And I'd say, no, it's under family values and traditions, tab number 55. It was that granular. This list, this should I do spreadsheet had unleashed a shitstorm. And it was women texting me, WTF, I had no idea all that I was doing. Another woman said to me, At this rate, I'm not staying in my marriage. So what I realized at that time was lists alone don't work. Maybe consciousness raising without a solution is more harmful than not being conscious at all. I send it off to Seth one day after months of compiling this amazing list with all these different women with a beautiful subject line that says, can't wait to discuss. (laughs) And I can't wait for his response. And I didn't even get the courtesy of the three monkey trio. I just got that sad monkey with its eyes covered. Oh, the I can't look the, monkey. To see emoji. no evil, yes. yes. So after seven years of researching and ruminating on the injustice of the mental load, Eve came up with a solution. It's a card game. 
Basically, there's 100 different chores represented in cards that you divide between you and your partner. She's not about splitting the cards 50-50 because that leads to scorekeeping. You divide the cards by what you agree is fair. You look at it like a business, like your organization, like your workplace, where ownership wins. You just need to know the word mustard. Mustard will tell you everything because somebody in your home has to know your second son, Johnny, likes yellow mustard on his hamburgers, hot dog. That's what I call conception. Then someone has to notice, someone in your household has to notice when that mustard's running low and put it on a grocery list with other groceries for the week. That's what I call planning. And then somebody has to get their butt to the store to purchase the mustard. And that's what I call execution. That's where men step in. And that's a big problem. Because what happens is they bring home spicy Dijon mustard when you ask for yellow mustard. And then men all over the country are saying things to me like, well, I can't even bring home the right type of mustard. And my wife's yelling at me over mustard. So I'm not going back to the store for her. And women are saying to me all over the world, well, how could you tell me to trust my husband with things like our will if I can't even trust him to bring home the right type of mustard? But when somebody owns the full mustard situation from conception planning to execution, when someone owns the grocery card, then you know what type of mustard to get because you have the context. You don't delegate, you give ownership of the whole thing. Exactly. Delegation is a short-term solution. Ownership is a long-term solution. My father, so I grew up in a single mom household. He's been involved in my, my life more as an adult and called me one day and said, I'm taking Milo, our dog, to doggy daycare. And I said, Dad, that is not fair play at all. Fair play would you be taking a full dog day, ownership of Milo for the entire day, feeding him twice a day, walking him for that day, taking him and picking him up from doggy daycare. And my father said to me, that's a lot of work. And I said, exactly. That's just one card for one day of the week, one pet care card. So the beauty is my father started doing that, taking care of Milo on Wednesdays, owning pet care, that one card for that one day. It's transformed his relationship with my stepmother. Just that one card for one task, for one day of understanding what full ownership means. Because now he has empathy of what it's like for her to have to take care of the dogs seven days a week. And he said to me, well, all dogs can learn new tricks. Pardon the pun. (laughs) But, you know, he's almost 80. So how about this, Eve? For the mental load to be more fairly distributed between heterosexual couples... Basically, the man is going to have to pick up more work. He's going to have to step up a bit more. And there's always going to be resistance because at the moment, he's pretty comfortable. So how do we sell that? How do we get him over the line for a situation that is inherently going to suck a little bit for him? Well, actually, I find the exact opposite. I don't find that it sucks for men at all. The majority of people who've been reaching out to me, 70% are male, 70% are men. Men want to know their role. Men, they're being rat-effed all over the place. And the rat is the random assignment of a task. The number one thing men told me that they didn't like about home life in my hundreds of interviews with men was nagging, was not feeling like they could do anything right. 
And actually, the men who take ownership, who are holding cards with the full conception planning and execution, are reporting being happier in their home. And they're willing to take on more. And that's what happened to me. That's what happened in my household. Okay, so one of the things that I really liked in the book was about time and that all time is created equal. This is one of your rules. But in so many of our minds, time is not equal. Like when you go to work, you're earning money. That time is valuable. Correct. Correct. When I went out there to interview those 500 plus people, I found that men, women, and society, and it didn't matter if it was Australia, the UK, United States, Japan, men, women, and society view men's time as finite, like diamonds, and women's time is infinite, like sand. And what I mean by that is, yes, we see it in equal pay, that women are paid less for the exact same amount of hours at the workplace. We see it um, because men statistically, scientifically in the science journals, take twice as much leisure time as women. But the crazy thing I was finding was that women weren't valuing their own time. And until we all value time as equal, nothing's going to change. So let me give you some examples. Women were saying to me all over the world that they were wired differently. They're better multitaskers, and that's why they take on more. So I went to the top neuroscientists in the world. That is not true. I had women saying to me, in the time it takes me to to tell him how to do it, I might as well do it myself. I went to the top behavioral economists in the world. Not true. There's just a different expectation about how women and men use their time. So what if I said to you that instead of time is money, and what if instead I asked everyone to look at time in terms of 24 hours in a day, that time is not money, Women shouldn't have less time choice over how they spend their time because we both have 24 hours in a day and both of our time is diamonds. And an hour, an hour holding your child's hand at the pediatrician's office is just as valuable to society as an hour in the boardroom. If we believe that, then men will want to do more of it and society will start changing. I want to believe this. I really, really do. But how realistic is it to expect that in a heterosexual relationship, men take up more domestic and unpaid work? This is Tracy Spicer and Dr Leah Rupana, the sociologist's take. I sent out an email saying, do you know what, it'd be great to have the class parent, an unpaid job, being one of the fathers Mm. this year. And instead, three of the mothers came back, three of the working mothers and said, don't worry, we'll do it together. We can share it between us with our paid work. But not one father came back on that group email to say, I will devote some of my time to it. And why would they? It's so unrewarding, isn't it? It is. It's the jobs. So women end up doing the jobs that men don't want to do. One question is, why do the mothers step in and all that the fathers step in? Everyone's <laughs> nodding here, yes. I think this is a question perhaps about gatekeeping. So what is the concern? Mm-hmm. Is the concern that if men actually do the job, they won't do as good of a job as the women would do? And if that is the issue, then we as women need to stop that? Yes. Because this is actually not arduous work. It's not intellectual work. It's just busy work. It's important work. It's relatively low-skilled work, and mm. it's, it's time-consuming work. So why do we not let men step in? And that is a point where who cares if it's 
50%. Or if it's different, you might actually find it's quite radically different in a beautiful way. I agree 100%. It goes back to that 1950s thing of the woman being the boss in the household mm. and the man being boss in paid work. And I know a lot of women who won't let their husbands participate enough when the children are babies because they think, oh gosh, they won't do it well enough, mm. something might happen to the baby. So there's an element of irrational fear there. But there's also an element of this is my realm. And particularly if they've given up paid work to do that, mm. this is now my job. And they fear letting go of that. And then when the kids are older, they regret not letting go of that earlier because yeah. there's a learned helplessness that happens with a lot of men that then the men feel helpless with this stuff and don't want to participate ongoing and that leads to this huge mental load. Yeah. When we first looked at the mental load in season one of this podcast, we spoke a lot about this idea of letting go and we all pledged to gatekeep less at home. But that doesn't, by the way, mean that I want to accept slovenliness as the standard. So... From a personal perspective, after season one, I quit organising all birthday parties. My partner does it all. I also quit book week. I quit knowing anyone's name at school, booking the doctor, owning pets, sorting socks, buying kids clothes, and my personal favourite, I quit Christmas. That's helped not only lessen the load, but also shown me that he is capable. Eve Rodsky, the lawyer who wrote the book on how to shift the mental load, says it's also about demanding fairness. When you sit down and say, this is why this matters to me, it may not matter to you. But let's talk about what's reasonable. Where you sit down, you say, what's reasonable to both of us? What would a reasonable person do? And when you do that, Seth came back to me and said, a reasonable person can expect the garbage to go out every day. And I promise you, I'll do that. I'll put it in my calendar like a work appointment that the garbage will go out at seven o'clock every night or when I get home, as long as you never mention the word garbage again. <laughs> and that's what happened. Garbage goes out at 7 p.m. every single night in my household. But it takes values conversations over things like garbage. And when was the last time you know anybody who's done that? I know. It's so unsexy, isn't it? Right. <laughs> like, I cannot believe it's, I'm doing this conversation. But the beauty of it is that we, when you talk about garbage and you bring it back to your core and your identity and why it matters to you, it opens up bigger, broader conversations around connection with your partner. Because ultimately, this is about connecting with your partner so that they're in it with you. And that's the beauty of why I see men responding to this, because it's not, oh, I have to take out the garbage now. It's, oh my God, we're having more sex. We have more fun together. We're having these conversations over tacos. We're actually leaving our kid at home because we both value marriage and romance. Things that weren't happening before. So remember how Eve's got 100 different cards to quantify the mental load? Well, within that system is the Unicorn Space Card, and its purpose is to give you permission to be interesting again, to join a soccer team, to learn Greek, start a heavy metal covers band, or go salsa dancing, or whatever the hell you might find fun. The reclaiming your right to be interesting is happening for women when they have a weekend off when they can start playing piano again, when they can travel again. And it's requiring divorce up until now. What I'd like to challenge women and men to say, and I call this the unicorn space card, where I give each of you a joker, your unicorn space card to hold, because it's important for both partners to remember what makes them them, what makes you you, 
beyond being a parent and a worker. Who we were before we had kids, when we weren't just a role. And it's really important because I see that when men and women have unicorn space, the permission to be passionate about something that is just for them and sharing it with the world, it is transformative for a partnership and it's actually linked to longevity outcomes. So this idea of finding your passion or your purpose can feel very shaming to women, I think, or at least they tell me that in my interviews, if it's not linked to domestic rebalance or divorce. Or income when generating. Are you, right, or income, right, because when are you going to have time to do it? But what I found was something very provocative was a woman who was a stay-at-home mom. It was just an interesting comment she made to me when I asked why her marriage ended. And her answer to me was, was I lost my permission to be interesting. And what had happened to her was she had heard so many times it wasn't worth it for her to work because her husband was leaning into his career. And so it changed the way I wrote Fair Play because this idea of unicorn space, this mythical creative space that doesn't freaking exist for women unless we reclaim it is so important. Again, not just for our partnerships, but for our longevity and for our mental health. And so it doesn't have to be that hard and you don't need to quit your job for it. I think one question you might be interested to ask is what is the point in letting go of the mental load? Because with all respect, aren't some people just good at it? Some people thrive on being on top of everything in the household. It can make them feel in control and some people totally love admin. So I asked Eve what she thinks is at stake if we don't let go of the mental load. I talk a lot about hidden costs to our marriage, right, to our careers, because uh, 43% of women take a career detour after children. But I think identity, our identity is the biggest cost. When you start signing off your emails, like some of my friends do, is hashtag Leo's mom, hashtag Zoe's mom. Who are we? <laughs> you know, I love being a mother. Existentially, it's the most important thing I'll ever do, of course. But there still can be more. There still can be more. Even if you are a stay-at-home mother, a lot of stay-at-home mothers were saying to me, how can I do unicorn space when I'm already not being paid for my contributions in the home? It feels frivolous. But what I'll say back is that there's nothing frivolous about your right to an interesting life, to be interested in your own life. And I'll say that over and over again till the day I die. We all deserve a right to be interested in our own lives. It is so true. I am totally taking up cage fighting. Me versus a unicorn. Oh, hang on. That's not how this works. But seriously, do you get the point? You have the right to have interests outside your family. And if you don't have kids or you're not in a relationship, I hope you don't feel left out because this stuff is applicable to so many human relationships, not just you and a possible partner. The mental load, of course, exists in same-sex couples, with platonic friendships, in the office and definitely in your family. Women take on the mental load in all kinds of situations. All right, I gotta go. The washing has been piling up while I'm just here nattering and nattering. Joking! I'm just joking. That is not happening. I'm going to my Unicord card ass kicking class. It's how I stay interesting. Me and a bunch of other muscly bitches punch bags, wrestle the patriarchy, and practice kicking ass. Hiya! <laughs> You can 
find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. If you have any feedback or thoughts on this episode, go and take it to someone else. My load is full right now. Or you can ring our number, which is, by the way, constantly being manned by an answering service. one three hundred six four one. Triple two, or you can send us an email at ladies at abc.net.au. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Jane Curtis. Supervising producer is Cassandra Steep and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of audio studios is Kelly Reardon. Hiya! Cha! Hiya! <laughs> I need a punching sound. Can you add that in later? Bit of that. Bit of If you're a parent, then I'm sure kids are a huge part of your mental load. There's the day-to-day stuff like lunches and organising sport, medical appointments. And then there's the bigger picture, often trickier stuff, like helping them to manage their emotions. If you need any parenting help, like managing screen time, tantrums, then you should totally check out Parental As Anything. It's a podcast hosted by parenting author and educator Maggie Dent. There's 20 episodes of tips and answers to your real-world parenting dilemmas about kids and teenagers. You can find Parental As Anything on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.